So we've been doing a series called Believe, and the series is based on, well, it's, it's a series that a group of churches did a couple years ago, and um, they put some books together, and so if you've been a part of our Sunday night or a Monday night Bible stories, you've been reading through and watching the videos of the series with your group, and um, I'm just going to be honest, as I was preparing messages and looking over the table of contents about what we were going to be talking about throughout these first 10 weeks, this was like the least exciting message for me. I read it and I was like, oh man, do I really have to talk about this? Um, But we do. We're talking about humanity. We've talked about God. We've talked about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We've talked about His Holy Word and the church. I mean, I love preaching about the church. I mean, and what we're supposed to do in this world and who we're supposed to be. I mean, that is good stuff. I love preaching about Jesus. I mean, every pastor loves to talk about Jesus and His grace and His mercy. And what does it mean to believe in Jesus? I mean, that that's like life-giving. Our identity in Christ, I mean, who we are, how God sees us, that is amazing. And then we have to talk about humanity. And it doesn't seem fun, especially in view of what's been going on this week. What does God say, what does God's word say about this world? Well, if we were to take a glimpse from what's been happening in the last few months or even the last week, it's not good. Um, When we take a look at Las Vegas and Sunday night and Monday and the loss of life and the hurt and the pain and you know, the hundreds that are wounded and the 58 lives that were lost or 59. I mean, when we think about all of that stuff, it just takes your breath away. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, on Monday morning when I started getting, you know, alerts on my phone and news articles and stuff, my first thought was it happened again. My first thought was almost kind of numb. You know, because of just all the nastiness that's happened in our country and even across the world, I was almost like desensitized to it. And I was just like, really? Seriously? This is, this is, I guess I can believe that, but, but in Las Vegas at a country music festival, I mean, why would this, why would this even happen? Why would somebody do that? But I wasn't broken spirited about it. And then as the day went on, and I guess I kind of woke up from the, you know, the, the morning and just the surprise of it all. My heart just, just broke as I've just seen all, God just, all the junk that's been, and, and I just ask why? Why do we have things like this happen in our country? Why do we have stuff like what's going on in North Korea and between us and, this nuclear threat and all this junk. Why do we, why do we have like genocides happening in Africa? Why do we, why do we have all of this nastiness in this world? Why, why is humanity like this? What is the problem? Why is, why are we like this? Why, why do we have the ability to do this? Well, if you want to look in your notes, this is kind of the rough part that we have to talk about just for a few moments. To understand why this is able to happen and what's going on around us, we have to go to the beginning and see why is this even allowed? How did this all start? And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 3 or you can look in your notes. And this is what Scripture says. It says, when the woman... So so this is the Genesis story. This is God setting up Adam and Eve. This is God 
creating perfection and paradise for them to live in Eden. And, and God just looks at this, this Adam and this Eve and, and he says, there's only one rule for you to follow. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat from every other tree in this place. You can do whatever you want to do, but there's one thing I'm telling you you can't do. And that's eat from this fruit from this tree. And the scripture says that the serpent, the evil one, the enemy, the devil, tempted Eve. And, and, and he looked at Eve and he says, but did God really say that, that you would surely die? I mean, is that what God said? Or, and it was as if he was looking at Adam and Eve and saying, what is God trying to hold back from you? Why doesn't he want you to have this knowledge? Why doesn't he want you? Because what we know is that if you eat from this, you will be just like God. And the scripture says that that was enough. That was the temptation. And it says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to that, it looked good and she knew it would taste good. And also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So in this moment of sin, in this moment of doing their own thing, in this moment of, of wanting to be like God, to take their life in their hands, it immediately opens up their eyes and breaks relationship between them and the Father. From where they were walking with God in the cool of the evening, where they had this closeness and this intimacy, instead of running towards God, this knowledge pushed them away from the Father and, and they hid from God. The scripture says that this, this name Adam can also be translated mankind. And so it's not just one man, but it's all men. That's what Romans 5.12 says. The author Paul writes to, to the Christians in Rome. He says, sin entered into the world through one man. Because of this sin that came through one man, all of us have sinned. In our lives. And, and our sinfulness is, is not based solely on what we do and what we don't do. It's not based on how we act or, or the acts that we perform. That, that it goes much deeper than that. That it's actually the essence of our nature. That from our very beginning, from the very essence of who we are when we're born, we are born with a sinfulness. And it all began then. It looks this way. Romans 3.23 if you look in your notes, it, it says for who? What's the word say? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, when I, when I compare myself to certain people, I feel really good about who I am as a person. I mean, when I look at people who perform these evil acts or who are abusive or who hurt others or take advantage of people, and, and, I, and I compare myself to them, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, I'm a pastor. I love people. I try to do the right things. I, I give. I try to live generously. I mean, I could feel really good about myself, right? But, but I'm certainly not perfect. And that's not even the standard. If you look at the scripture, what is the standard or who is the standard? This is all have fallen short of what? The glory of God. That we can't compare ourselves to other people. Our sinfulness is not based on how we stand up towards someone else in our life, but our sinfulness, who we are and how we, our, 
our very sinful nature, it's, it's compared to the glory of God's standard. And so we're all, we're all sinful. My wife can attest to the sinfulness of me. <laughs> I am not a perfect man. I'm not even a good man sometimes. It's because I have sin. That's, that's who I am as a person. That's who we are. And that's the problem. Sin is the root of the problem of this world. <sighs> can we stop talking about that now? I think we all get it. We all understand it. That there's something broken in the system and broken in this world. That it's not as how it was supposed to be. And it's fallen. But, but what does God see in humanity? What does God see in people? And, and that's what I want to focus on just real quickly. What are, what are some truths that we can walk away with, with, with? How does God view people? How does God see people? How does God view human nature? And, and just a few thoughts. And the first one is this. Is that God loves all people equally. God loves all people equally. Wednesday night we meet with our teenagers and uh, we were talking about the last few weeks, our few few sessions together, we were talking about this idea of unity. Um, there's a scripture in John chapter 16 or 17, I'm not sure off the top of my head, where, where, where Jesus is praying for his disciples and he's saying that your oneness, that your unity, that how you treat each other as followers of Jesus, that that, that unity and that oneness and that care and love that you have for each other it shows other people that God is real and that Jesus was sent by God. And so there's this huge amount of weight that's, that's, that is established to this idea of how we treat people in this world. And so I was talking about what does that mean to be unified? What does it mean to have unity? What are some things that we can do, you know, me and you, to, to, to become one? And, and the first thing I said is that we just simply have to love each other. That that the scripture says that God is love and, and that we as followers of his are, we're supposed to be loving people. And one of, one of the kids that was there last night or Wednesday night just looked at me really honestly and just said, but Jared, what about evil people? Now, I've been in ministry for 17 plus years. I've been a follower of Jesus for Oh, I mean, it was like I was born in the church, you know, um, 40 plus years. And, and it's been so easy for me to say, yes, God loves evil people. God loves everybody. That's how he feels. He loves everyone. But as she asked that question Wednesday night, in lieu of what I had been wrestling with on Tuesday and Monday and, and what experience happened Sunday night, the, the word, the name that came in my head was Stephen Paddock and, 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 and I had to ask myself, did God, does God even love him? A person that could hurt people like that, a person that could wreck that many lives, a person that could do something that, that nasty in this world and cause that much pain, did God even, it took my breath away with the honesty of this teenager's question. And the answer that I had was one that I didn't feel good about. It was yes. That even them, God loves all people. And the reason it was hard for me to say that is because man, I, I kind of want justice too. You know, and it's just the humanness of myself. But the, but the stark realization is, is that God loves all people equally. 
This is what the scripture says in John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. This is how much God loves the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. Amen? He said, this is why God did this. So that no one, as, 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 as evil as they are or as good as they are, that no one would be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending a son merely to point an accusing finger. It's not like he was coming to this earth so he can point at you and say, you're so evil, you're so bad. That's not why he came. He didn't come telling the world how bad it was. I love this. I underline this in my notes. He came to help to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in Him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust in Him has long since been under the destinance without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind Son of God when introduced to Him. What is the Scripture telling us? The Scripture is telling us that no matter how bad we are or how good we think we might be, that God loves us and that He sent His Son not to point out how bad we are because we think we understand that, but, but to show us how we can be redeemed and made right and to expose His great, miraculous, and overwhelming love in our lives. No matter who you are or what you've done, God loves all people equally. And what's amazing is that this verse, He's speaking to a man called Nicodemus. What we know about Nicodemus is Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And what Pharisees were known for were, were they were teachers of the law and they had these strict laws and they basically said, if you don't live this type of life, you can't know God or be loved by God. And if you don't live this way, you, you're damned to judgment. And Jesus is blowing that out of the water. And he's saying, where you like to separate, and where you like to, to establish these crazy standards, God is just saying, man, there's so much more love involved and so much more grace involved if you just believe in Jesus. Believe in me. What we know about humanity is that God loves all people. Here's a second thought, is that God is needed by all people. God is needed by all people. The internet is can be a pretty awesome place. Sarah was talking about her Greek knowledge this week and you know, being able to Google up words. You know, uh, my family, we, we argue about the weirdest things in my family. My parents were here this last weekend, and we got in an argument on how to boil eggs in my household this week. Who does that? Anybody do that? The simplest, most annoying things. And we got in an argument. And so what did we do? We pulled out the Internet and did a little Google, you know, and, and found out how, to, and we actually Googled how to boil the perfect egg, and it gave us the recipe for how to boil the perfect egg. And to my, and to my mom, it wasn't the perfect egg. To the rest of us, we thought it was amazing, right? And it was, it's really, it was a really funny moment in my house. But you can find a lot of things on the internet. How to lose weight. The answer to any trivia question, my wife and I, we got this guilty pleasure this week. My mom exposed us to the Will of Fortune game on her phone, and, and we've been Will of Fortune in like crazy. And there's been a couple times where we had to cheat, and we were, oh, what is this? And we pulled out a word and started Googling and finding the answers to some of the words on there. Yeah, it's amazing what you, you can find amazing things on the internet. But one thing you'll never find is the answer to what do we do with sin in our life? How do we make ourselves right? Can't be found there. 
It's only found in Jesus. The scripture, Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from God, from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Sin has done a work in our lives and has separated us from the God who loves us more than life itself. So what's the third thing we need to know about how God sees this world? Is that God offers salvation to all people. All. If you go back to John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He's so loved. He didn't just love it. He so loved the world. And it's not the world that we like. It's not the friends that we like. But it's everybody that he gave his son. That whoever believes, whoever believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. John 14.6 says this. It says, I am the way, the truth, in the life. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. He's really clear that the problem of humanity, the problem of sin, the problem, it's only, the answer is only found through Jesus, who is salvation to all men. So what does that mean for you and me? As followers of Jesus, as those that carry his name, as Christians, what does it mean? What does it mean for us? And the first thing is this is that we need to see people the way God sees them. Anita, will you do me a favor and go get my little boy? Can you get him real quick? you got to make it fast. Let's go. Come on. I, I surprised this honor. I wanted to do this in the first session, but Wesley was taken. <clears throat> we'll bring him back. We promise. There he comes. Hi, Bubbers. Yeah. Here's the thing, guys. I love being a dad, and I love having this little kid with me at church. It's funny, when Haley and I bring this guy in, like once he walks into the door, we usually don't get to see him for about an hour and an hour and a half. Travis, you know what it's like, right? Your kid just gets lost in the wave of people, and he just gets passed around. And that's something that I really love. Because here's what I know, is that you... Yeah... Is that you as a church love this little boy. Like, like church people just, you value this little kid. And, and it doesn't matter. When he disappears, I don't worry. Because I know that, that he's in a safe space and that there's a bunch of people in here who are watching him and you may be feeding him the wrong things, you know. I know a couple weeks ago we had someone giving him a little bit of cake, and we were like, no, not cake. We're not supposed to have that just yet. Um, but I know that he's, yeah, he's so, so good. Um, but I know he's cared for. Here's the thing, is that, is that in biblical times, children weren't looked at the same way. Children were, were seen and not heard. You shoo them away, you keep them quiet. Um, and the disciples were known to do this. You know, there's a few different times and instances with Jesus. Are you having fun up here, buddy? 
where Jesus was talking to a group of people and and the scripture says that kids were just gathering up and women were bringing their kids to Jesus and, and the disciples just started saying, no, push him away, you know, we don't have time for this. He's an important teacher. He needs to be teaching. He doesn't need all these kids around him. And over and over again, Jesus said, don't stop. Get out of the way. Let these children, are you guys familiar with the verses? Let these children come unto me. Yeah. Matthew chapter 18 is one of those moments. And this is Jesus talking, I think he's talking probably to his disciples. (laughs) He says, beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that's lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that have wandered away. In the same way, I put this in bold, this is it's not bold and underlined in the Bible, but I did it for you. In the same way, it's not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. I read... A little quote this week. It says, followers of Jesus, we should care about people from the womb to the tomb. From the very beginning of life, when they take their first breath, to the very end. And I think about Miss Marie, you know, who's in our church and in the hospital in this moment. Here, Troy, will you take this boy? You can take him back or hand him to Anita. When... That, that even in those last, Miss Marie is 91 years old, and I, I forgot to pray for her. We prayed for her in the first service, and I'm sorry I forgot in the second. Um, but Miss Marie is in the hospital again, and she had another heart attack, they think, um, Friday night, and, um, and they're trying to figure out what to do. And so I went and saw her yesterday, and I thought about where she is in her stage of life as a 91 year old woman, and, um, and I thought about the, the thousands of people in this world that are her stage of life who are just forgotten in nursing homes or in hospice care, and, you know, and they're they're just forgotten. I thought as followers of Jesus that we need to see people the way God does, from from their very first breath to the very last. They have value and and are honored, and and, and that as followers of Jesus, we got to see them with the same love and care that God does. What does it mean for my life? Not only do we have to see people the way God does, that we have to treat people the way God treats them. You know, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Is that how it goes? But what if we treated people not how we wanted to be treated, but how God has treated us? Think about the love and the grace I think about the mercy that God has shown me and the blessings in my life and and the forgiveness that I've experienced. And I think, what if? What if I treated people the same way? The same amount of love that God has shown me. The same amount of grace that God has shown me. The same amount of mercy that God has shown me. Psalms 103, 8 and 10 says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. What if I treated people with that same measure of grace? 
What if I wasn't harsh with people? What if I didn't punish as they deserve, but I showed mercy? What if I forgave, was slow to anger? As followers of Jesus, we should treat people the way God treats us. And here's the third thought, is that we need to tell all people about Jesus. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do so with gentleness and respect. I think about what God has done for me. And I think about what God is wanting to do for others. And the scripture is really clear. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There is a standard. There is a way into heaven. And that way into heaven is not by our good works because we have already aligned and already agreed to the fact that we're sinful people. And so the only way to eternity, the only way to heaven, the only way to experience true joy and life and hope in this world and to, in this world and to eternity is through Jesus. Right? And if that's true... If that is true, then then it is our job as followers of His to be the voice of His love and His grace and His mercy into this world. And here's the thing, is that sometimes I think we like to do it, but we do it in a harsh way. I had a professor tell me once, we were watching some sermons, and and um, there was this preacher that was just like hammering people from the pulpit. And, and it was like he was almost getting a kick out of telling people how awful they were. How sinful. Have you ever been to one of those sermons before? It was like hellfire and brimstone. You just like walked away just feeling terrible about yourself. My professor said, if, if we ever get to a place where we find joy out of preaching about sin, then we need to stop preaching. That the only way we should ever preach about sin is with a broken heart and with love and grace and mercy. Because that's how God addressed it. Sometimes I think we get a joy, a kick out of telling people how bad they are. But this verse that we just read says to do so with gentleness and respect. To tell people about the grace and the hope and the love of Jesus with gentleness and respect. Here's just one last thought. I forgot to put this in your notes, and I think it's the most important. What do we do with this truth about humanity? What do we do with this truth about sin and about grace and about Jesus? We wrestle with what we believe about Jesus. That's what we do. We analyze our heart and we ask ourselves, have I personally made a decision about Jesus in my life? The greatest decision you will ever make in your life is what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about His grace? What do you believe about His mercy? What do you believe about what he did on the cross as he gave up his life for our sins, for our guilt, for our iniquity, so that we could be washed clean by believing in him? The scripture says if we believe in our hearts that Jesus the Lord, we confess with our mouths, we will be saved. So from our hearts, from our mouths, what do we believe about Jesus?